Pull yourself up a chair and join us at the Energy Roundtable. Welcome to the Energy Roundtable. This week, we get back at it after a bit of a hiatus. I'm in my backyard enjoying the vitamin D, and I'm joined, as always, by Lisa Barber. Lisa, welcome. Oh, except you got the last name wrong now, Matt. Let's change it to Cash. Do we have to restart? (laughs) No, 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 no. Don't restart. Just keep it. It's okay. It's good. We'll keep that blooper in. Yes, I have a new I have a new co-host, uh, <laughs> much much better than my last one. Um, Lisa Cat, welcome uh, to the Energy Roundtable. Thank you, thank you, Matt. How are you today? I'm good. It's a beautiful, gorgeous day, and uh, lots on the go, lots to talk about. So let's uh, let's get in, and I will start, and I will start with something um, that is near and dear to your heart, I know, uh, and it's a an announcement that. Yamaha Motors plans to make uh, fully carbon neutral motorcycles by 2050. And oh. uh, I, uh, I know you're more of a uh, high-end European motorbike girl. I know that. But uh, I, uh, I picked this article because, you know, there's a lot of electric motorbikes or there's some electric motorbikes. And I, I know for you enthusiasts, that's not, that's not quite the same. But uh, this is not really what they're talking about, I don't think. Uh, they, they talk about carbon neutrality across all business activities, including the life cycle of the products by 2050. So this is a great example of kind of scope one, scope two and scope three emissions. Scope one being, you know, fuels consumed on site. Uh, scope two being stuff that comes in uh, as as fuels or energies like electricity distributed distributed to the site to make it. And then scope three, which is the value chain, the supply chain. And so they really want to, by 2050, even their supply chain to be uh, carbon neutral. And um, that's a pretty uh, aggressive target to be able to reach down into your supply chain. They also uh, want to, I love this phrasing, uh, it says Yamaha also intends to assess the CO2 emitted per person during movement. I love that phrase, movement, movement in one of its products. So uh, I think what they're looking at is ways to use efficient, low-carbon power sources. So uh, not electricity, I don't think. I think they're looking at maybe some alternative fuels or things like that. But to me, what stuck out was uh, I knew it was a motorbike story, which I hoped you'd like. And uh, the, the whole supply chain, like going beyond the supply chain, is not something we hear about every day when we talk about carbon neutrality. So yeah. what do you think? You're the expert in this field. Well, so actually, uh, Yamaha was my preferred brand when I was racing motocross. Right, right. Yeah, in fact, I was sponsored by Yamaha Canada at the time. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, so I I do like the brand very much. Um, I I mean, I can't, I I have to assume that like many brands, they are going to start to probably go towards electrification or battery storage, I should say, or maybe maybe hydrogen fuel cells or something like that, I would see. Um, But certainly just from a, you know, a brand perspective, as you said, to kind of look at scope one, two and three emissions. I mean, I think that's what it's all about. You can't be limited to just the one block, right? Um, You have to kind of be focused on all three in most cases. So that's great. I think uh, I give it a thumbs up. I hope that they stay with some form of uh, gaseous fueled engine so that I still have my uh, my roar when I turn the throttle. But uh, we'll see what happens. Right on. Cool. 
All right. So my article, uh, I've collected a couple of these actually with the coming the last couple of weeks since we've uh, been on a bit of a hiatus because of vacations and so on. Uh, they're both from the Toronto Star, but they have been in different uh, been put out by different people. I think this one also was also put out by uh, Bloomberg. So it's Carnival says cruises will be carbon neutral by 2050. And uh, basically, they're talking about the uh, company's um, uh, goals to basically reduce their carbon footprint by 2030 and be carbon neutral by 2050. They plan to uh, do that by involving more liquefied natural gas powered uh, vessels, optimizing hull designs to reduce drag and using shoreside power sources when available. And then some of their other sustainability objectives include cutting absolute emissions of particulate matter by 50% by 2030 and uh, relative to 2015 numbers and uh, slashing single-use plastic items by 50% by the end of this year versus 2018. What I like about the article is, uh, first of all, I've been on uh, two cruises in my lifetime. Um, I also used to uh, work with the yachting sector in a previous life. So I know how hard it can be to cut emissions from, uh, especially cruise ships that use bunker diesel, right. um, you know, bunker fuel. It's a very heavyweight fuel. Uh, does not respond favorably to emission controls. They have a tendency of gunking up and fouling up very quickly, and uh, they are very expensive to replace. So the fact they're they're looking at an alternative like uh, liquefied natural gas, I think, is great. And then similarly to really automobiles, how you know we've looked at optimizing the design for um, you know less drag and better fuel efficiency later designs the fact that they're looking at that as well i think is uh is great they're you know doing something that is really just using their smarts to uh to reduce carbon uh without any additional cost really yeah yeah I, when i hear carnival i i hear party boat right they're the party boat uh yeah. cruise line right and so um it, it, yeah the, the the lng piece is so interesting and and always thinking about how do we green the the natural gas piece? And we've talked about it lots on this on this show. The our you know renewable natural gas, um, you know that that umbrella is getting broader and broader, right? And that includes biomethane, that includes you know green hydrogen. And so, is there a, you know some of the folks that we are talking to have you know ties into LNG terminals, right? And so, can we? I mean, those are we're talking massive volumes, but can a portion of that come from, you know, renewable sources? I think some of what's happening in the market now is going to, um, you know, California and and is getting, um, you know, that market, I think, is starting to get saturated. Right. So where are the next markets for this renewable natural gas? Um, so. So, hey, cruise lines, uh, I mean, cruise lines, it'll be interesting to watch their development in a post covid world as well. Right. So uh we'll we'll see what comes of it but uh, always great to hear brands that we recognize uh, continue to take steps forward so yeah very very good uh my next headline is a forbes uh headline from literally from today the headline is heliogen and bloom energy agreement s- signals the start of the hydrogen age so um my thought process might be that the hydrogen age has already started just based on the <laughs> level of activity but really, this is a, a partnership to produce green hydrogen is what it is. And the uh, the the way it's green, so so Bloom Energy is kind of the darling or one of the darlings in the hydrogen fuel cell market. And um, on many of those fuel cell producers who take 
you know, hydrogen and make electricity or take natural gas and make electricity can go the other way through electrolysis and take electricity and make hydrogen. And so Bloom on, with, with the electrolysis side is partnered with Heliogen, uh, who I guess bring um, concentrated solar power to the table. And so mm. the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the article has this image, uh, I think it's a computer rendering, but it's basically this concentrated solar array uh, which is basically redirecting the sun's uh, rays to a central place, and then they're making uh, steam, uh, and the steam drives a, a turbine, a steam turbine to to make electricity. And so the thinking is that hmm. uh, that basically you're taking solar, and instead of PV, uh, you're doing concentrated, and then making uh, hydrogen. So hmm. you know, it, it, it's a big deal. Uh, the 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 uh, the author kind of goes on to talk about. Uh, why you know he has this interesting analogy of why the announcement matters he talks about you know it's it's his phone weighs 121 pounds and it, i had to read the paragraph three to, three times and then he goes on to say that that's the carbon footprint of the life cycle of his mm -hmm. uh, phone and so he he really does a good job of kind of taking what could be a very complicated technical story you know uh, solar uh, thermal concentrated solar hydrogen really um, nitty gritty nerdy stuff and, and bringing it home in terms of greenhouse gas. And so, hmm. uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, the article goes on to talk about green, blue and gray hydrogen. And, uh, I mean, there's some big names behind this. So, you know, I, and I'm fascinated by concentrated solar and we'll, uh, we'll see if this model takes off and gets the economies of scale that a project like this must need. But, uh, yeah, pretty fun to watch the market. Yeah, that's interesting. And I haven't heard of, uh, you know, concent concentrated solar or a project involving concentrated solar to date. Heard of lots of different, uh, at least related to hydrogen. Um, and I haven't, uh, you know, obviously the hydrogen space is growing very, very rapidly globally. So, uh, yeah, I give it a thumbs up. Cool, cool, good. You got uh, one more for us? Yes, my next article is Shell Plan's new carbon capture and storage project. Uh, so it's announced plans to build a large-scale carbon capture and storage project at its Scotford complex near Edmonton, uh, which is part of its strategy to become net zero emissions company by 2050. I think the project's name is called Polaris CCS, or Carbon Capture Storage, um, and it will capture carbon dioxide from Shell-owned Scotford refinery and chemicals plant. And I think it's going to be... Yeah, it's got a storage capacity of about 300 million tons of CO2 over the life of the project. Um, so I was excited about this for a couple of reasons. Uh, I love cap uh, carbon capture storage. I think it's becoming uh, more prevalent in our market and needs to be, uh, especially, you know, for a company like Shell and just uh, really processes and equipment that may not be able to be electrified or go towards that route. Um, if we can at least capture the carbon and store that underground and that enables companies to reach their net zero goals, uh, I think it's a good news story for everybody. So, um, yeah, I was uh, excited to hear that there's another carbon capture storage project out there. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's a, a, a thumbs up because anytime we're capturing carbon, um, you know, that's a good thing. I, I think with the carbon capture that's half of it. And then it's, you know, is it utilization or is it storage? Right. And so, you know, the storage at those volumes. And I, I, I must admit, I don't know a lot about, you know, where are they storing it? How do they store it? That that's kind of uh, something I'm not totally familiar with, but um, you know, that, that there's, that's a good thing. I, I'm really focused on, I think particularly for smaller projects, where is the utilization, right? Like how can we utilize this? How can, 
turn what we've pulled out of that exhaust stream into a revenue, another revenue stream, um, whether that's, you know, agriculture, whether that's, you know, pharmaceuticals, whether that's food and bev, I, I don't know. And we're having some conversations even last night at a dinner I was at about, you know, it's a massive footprint. It's not cheap. I mean, but you know, that, that's the goal is how do we get that to some kind of utilization that, uh, we can actually get a revenue stream. So, but you know, we uh, we need these big projects to continue to move not only the industry but also the knowledge base and the, the mm-hmm. you know so yeah it's it's uh, and Shell is a leader so uh, it's 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 great and and good to hear that people are reinvesting in Alberta and and spending capital and that the those things are are coming back so that's that's very exciting good yeah all right time for our face off we'll bring in our uh, man behind the glass Mr Mark Charbonneau Mark welcome to the uh, Energy Roundtable. Hi, Matt. Hi, Lisa. Hey, Mark. How are you? I'm well, thank you. So today's face-off, we will um, sort of explore the topical subject that everyone's probably wanting to put behind them, um, COVID-19 and the the prospect of potentially having a passport or some sort of travel certificate Mm. that, um, you know, outlines that you've had the shot and that you are allowed to flee the country. Um, so, um, so heads or tails, I'll let Lisa pick. Um, and it's obviously pros or cons. Somebody takes a stance on they agree with it, and some, and the other does not. So here we go, heads or tails. We've I'll do got, heads. You want what? Sorry. Heads. Yes, it is heads. Oh, okay. So do you want um, pros or cons? Well, I can. I can actually. I'm prepared to do both. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> uh, of course, that's right. You know me. Uh, all right. Well, I will take. Uh, I'm gonna take the pros. Um, yeah, I'll, let, I'll take the pros. Okay. So I, I think, I think there's a couple of pieces here. First of all, I think if we make it mandatory that somebody's got to carry around a passport so that they can get into, you know, areas, uh, or access areas easier, whether it be gyms or restaurants or, uh, airplanes, et cetera, I think it's going to motivate a lot more people to get the vaccine. I think that's probably one of the biggest benefits that we're going to see. Um, I, well, Outside of, of course, the benefits to the economy of, you know, opening things up more and faster. Um, Obviously, less restrictions means more people are out there spending money and we really need to obviously bounce back from this thing. So that's that's definitely the second piece of it, I think. Um, I think the other benefit is it's going to allow for safer travel, especially when we're thinking about whether it's, um, you know, the US or Europe. Uh, or other, you know, areas that, you know, might have otherwise overwhelmed hospitals or healthcare facilities, uh, knowing that the chances of, even if you contract COVID-19, the chances of you, uh, you know, getting hospitalized or needing to be hospitalized is is far reduced. So I think that's another big benefit, not to, you know, stress those local healthcare systems. Um, and I think in general, it just makes others feel very safe around you. Um, Matt knows the story already, but my daughter turned one last week, and so we had her uh, her first uh, birthday party, and we were a little bit surprised, but we we had actually three parties specifically because of COVID, and uh, and really just some of the sensitivities still around it. And but the the last party that we had, which was with friends and some of their kids, we actually had a couple who asked us before if everybody has been vaccinated and with both vaccines, not even with just the one. And so 
it, it was a little bit interesting. We actually decided to go around and ask everybody if they had received their vaccines because we felt like we had to report otherwise. But the fact that people are thinking about that and just the fact that, um, you know, some are viewing it to be safer, I think, you know, makes everybody feel better around them. So, um, yeah, I take the pro stance on that one. So I, I thought I'd have a fighting chance this time because Mark sent the uh, the topic out uh, with limited prep time, although maybe Lisa got a sneak preview. I don't know. But I thought as somebody who um, isn't prone to prepare, I thought I might have an advantage or a level playing field at least. And uh, as always, that's not the case. But um, I will also start by saying I am pro-vaccine. Um, but the answer on vaccine um, uh, passports is none of your business. That's a privacy thing. That's my right to know whether or not I've been vaccinated. And it's, you know, it's fr quite frankly, um, you know, nobody else's business but my own. And so, um, you know, I think that's that's the first place to start. I, I think you have uh, a great swath of the population, particularly south of the, uh, the 49th parallel that are resisting um, vaccinations. Not sure that a vaccine passport would push them towards that. Uh, and you're then going to compromise what they can do and where they can put their money back in the economy. So, um, you know, not to name names, but they'll be constricted to Alabama and they'll have to, you know, support the uh, the, the, the market there. So um, you mentioned travel and you said, hey, listen, you know, travel is going to get uh, better. I've been traveling for 18 months or a year, I guess, at this point, and I don't think travel is a source of significant spread. I don't know the data 100 percent, but I think there's other areas that are much higher spread. Uh, so we've been doing it safely for a year uh, with the level of vaccinations we have now. It shouldn't be, you know, it should not be a. Uh, and, and then you have, you know, this dividing line and you start to separate people into, you know, kind of uh, different levels and different um kind of parts of society, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. The, and, and I just, I, I think it's a personal choice issue. And I, I think, you know, people are entitled to that. I personally, again, I'm pro-vaccine, but uh, I think you can, you can have your choice. And I, I don't think you, you know, you should have to demonstrate your vaccination to uh, continue to go along with your life. So that's my, uh, my two cents on the topic. Wow. This is a tough one. Cause I've, I've been flip-flopping back and forth on this with like talking with friends and family about it too. Um, but I'm, I'm going to say that um, I'm going to go with that. I, uh, hmm, that you, that you shouldn't have to prove um, that you've been vaccinated in order to travel. Um, <laughs> just because like, again, I'm pro vaccine too. Um, my wife works in healthcare, so I'm all for it. But again, I think there's, there's certain things that you shouldn't have to prove um, in order to live your life. So, and I think that's one of them. Uh, what's interesting with that, because I did, you know, as you know, prepare for both sides. Yes, so, of course. Well, one of the interesting things about this whole COVID thing, though, that we really have to be thinking about is by suggesting, at, the, at least at this stage, that people have to have, you know, both vaccines, let's say, to travel, is it really is being discriminatory because not everybody has had the chance to get offered that second vaccine, even though the majority of our population here in Canada is doing great. I mean, what, what are we now? We're first in the world, I think, right, with vaccinations? Yeah. But there are other jurisdictions outside or other countries outside of Canada that have not had the chance to do that. And granted, some people have just said, you know, plain day, they, they don't want to get vaccinated. That's that's it. And I think that's their business, even though I am pro-vaccine. Um, but it is being a little bit discriminatory, isn't it? So it, it's like I think we're just going to be it's a we're going to be learning a lot over the next couple of months of what is kosher, so to speak, on it and what you really can and can't do. Um, so anyways, I'll leave it at that. 
Yeah, there's also some concert venues that were talking about doing something similar where you had to prove in order to even purchase tickets online, you'd have to prove that you were vaccinated. So I don't know if they're going like, to go ahead with that either. But there's, you know, that's that's also one of those things that that's going on right now. I saw um, this morning on my I think it was my Instagram feed at the uh, Vancouver airport. Apparently there's two lines and it says right up on the sign, unvaccinated and vaccinated. No and way. I was surprised because what does it matter? You get on the airplane, doesn't matter, right? If you just know specific requirements. That is, there, so that's it must be a trying that as an incentive. I don't know. It must that's be. I was I, I don't know. It was real news, though. It was, wasn't fake. Interesting. News. Yeah. Uh, Last week I was in Calgary uh, for the uh, Stampede and at Nashville North, which is some kind of concert venue, I guess. They, they were insisting on if you were going to come in, you had to show proof of, of vaccination. So hmm. uh, it is definitely mm. happening, um, but uh, yeah, it will be. We, we are in interesting times, to say the least. So, uh, Mark, thank you for another great um, face-off, as always. Lisa, thank you for a good roundtable. Uh, let's uh, let's make sure we get together uh, again soon around this table to talk about the news and notes in the energy space. Thank you both. Take care. All right. Bye. Have a good one. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. Bye.